صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Morning, Rob. How are you? Mate, I'm very well. Been Father's Day this week, been my birthday this week, so I've had a fantastic week. And also, I'm looking very much forward to our guest. People may know him uh, very well, so I look forward to speaking with him very shortly. What about you? Well, I didn't have a birthday, but I had Father's Day, so that was pretty cool. We are fast approaching a period of time when we might be able to get out, but I don't know when that's going to be. In the meantime, we'll just continue to suffer lockdowns. But the good news, Rob, the good news is we're joined by a special guest, founder, extraordinaire, former co-host, now occasional special correspondent, Mr. Yusuf Ahmed Al-Rimawi. Hello, 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 Nasser, hello, Robert. (laughs) I have missed you guys. I have missed being on the show, and I would like to say big... Hello to all my dear listeners, and it's great to be with you guys again. I wish you could see my face. I have a massive smile on my face from all the memories of the three of us being in the studio, laughing our heads off, trying to contain ourselves. Yes, yes, yes. Good times, good memories. I miss these days, but I'm glad that they can't see my face because of the moustaches, so it's okay. Yeah, you know, you're looking very presidential, Yusuf. Uh, <laughs> dictatorial presidential. That, that's more like what I would say, yes. It's not, it's not like any Arabs do democracy, but anyway. I know, I know. Sometimes we like to be creative and call it democracy when it is not. So it's no longer creative. It used to be creative. Now it's just yes. a standard plan, brother. Yes, yes, yes. Yusuf, we've got a very special person we need to honour today, and I know that's the basis of which you've joined us. But before that, we should extol the virtues of the magnificent Janine Six. And for our yes. listeners that don't know, they escaped from Gilboa prison. This was a prison that was designed apparently to be unescapable. But these magnificent Palestinian resistance fighters used a spoon to dig themselves out underneath a toilet and got out. They escaped. The, apparently one of the guards fell asleep. These amazing guys came out next to a watchtower one at a time and have escaped. They still haven't been captured. The Israelis have arrested their family. The Israelis have now harassed other prisoners in other prisons, putting a collective punishment on all Palestinians, which is against international law, as we know. There are riots now and some of the prisons in in parts on fire. But one of the funniest things, I think, aside from the Shawshank Redemption spoon meme pictures that have been shared around the internet, is the hundreds of phone calls of people calling the police saying that they've spotted them, except the spotting was actually... Palestinians to divert all the uh, Israeli police all over the joint. It was really funny. Let's let's uh, break down this amazing. It tells, you can't just brush over this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, first of all, we're talking about more than six thousand Palestinian prisoners at the moment. At any given time, there are more than five thousand Palestinian prisoners in Israel. I mean, and when I say in Israel, I don't recognize Israel, but I want you uh, want the listeners to know that the uh, prisoners who are predominantly from West Bank are kept held in another 
another uh, territory in violation to human rights, to international law. According to international law, it is, it is a crime for any occupying power to detain prisoners outside from their uh, uh, territories. And Israel has been doing that since 1967. So that's number one. Number two, uh, Jalbour uh, prison, like you said, Nasser, is, uh, I mean, uh, Israel used to brag about it and being uh, uh, one of the most uh, secured uh, places uh, or prisons in the world, uh, has now been broken, not by one or two, by six prisoners in one hit. So this is a big embarrassment to the institution that uh, provides itself, that, that you know, promotes its industries and you know, the, uh, the security uh, uh, apparatus of Israel around the world. Um, but also, like you said, Nasser, uh, the uh, sarcasm and uh, the humorous part of the story is another form of resistance where people actually are rejoicing their self-liberation and uh, uh, another synonym of escape uh, of, of these uh, six freedom fighters, uh, five from Islamic Jihad and one from Fatah. But like we said, this, this, is, this is one turning point of Palestinian steadfastness history. So they, they still haven't been captured and long may they stay free. Yusuf, I know we want to dedicate, there's probably three or four shows that we need to put aside for our, our late Dr. Shafiq Rabra. He passed away in Kuwait, age 68. He's a Palestinian exiled from Haifa, grew up in Kuwait. Why don't you take us through from his Nakba journey, Yusuf, and um, to where sadly he passed this past week? Thank you, uh, Nasser. Shafiq Al-Ghabra, Shafiq Al-Ghabra uh, was uh, uh, one of the Palestinians who uh, was made up of uh, a unique uh, blend. He was a politician. He played an important role in the politics of not only Palestine, but also Kuwait, because he was a dual citizen. He was an intellectual one of the uh, renowned academics in the field of international relations and politics in uh, the Middle East. And he was a fighter. He was uh, um, like, uh, he, he joined the Palestinian revolution since a young age. So to talk about his legacy, like you said, I mean, we have to do justice um, to him, but in in uh, with, 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 we'll do our best, Nasser. So, um, um, like, uh, uh, if you want to start from where he is from, Shafi'i al-Ghabra is from Haifa, from the father's side, and from Tabaria, from the mother's side. And he was born in Kuwait in 1952. And what's interesting is that his, his uh, uh, grandfather, was a medical doctor. He was a graduate of the American University in Beirut in 1928. So we're talking about um, a highly educated uh, uh, fa family from both uh, sides. His, his father was also a medical doctor. So um, he is the product of uh, this, this family who valued education in time where illiteracy was still very uh, high in Palestine. So um, I guess like the rest of the Palestinians who were driven out uh, from their homes and villages in 1948, uh, his father uh, was driven uh, 
he was a medical doctor working for a petrol uh, or oil refinery, uh, which was run and, man and managed by the British mandate uh, before 48. But the buildup of uh, Nakba, and one thing uh, that Dr. Shafiq wrote uh, in his uh, memoir is that the Nakba is not the events that took place around the month of May 1948. In fact, it is the year before and probably a few months after 48. And this buildup was described in details in his memoir, and especially in the city of Haifa, where the Zionists wanted to take a full control uh, on. Uh, so his house, his father's house, was uh, the, the target of uh, terrorist uh, Zionist organizations like Haganah and Stern and Irgon. Uh, before the inception or the creation of Israel, his father was uh, 25 and he decided to take his parents and, and younger siblings to a, to a temporary, temporary uh, safe uh, haven in Cairo and went back to Haifa. But unfortunately, he was driven out of Haifa after uh, May 48, first to Lebanon, then to uh, Iraq, then to Saudi Arabia, then to Kuwait, where he started a family, and then where Shafi al-Ghabra was born three years later. So Shafi grew up in Kuwait, but then he's educated in the United States, and that's probably at the University of Georgetown where things started to, where he embraced his nationalism. Yes, correct. In fact, uh, I was... Um, I have to say that uh, I discovered uh, Shafi al-Ghabra at a relatively uh, a bit recent uh, time. Uh, so I do, uh, and, and this is something I uh, I'm not proud of because uh, Shafi al-Ghabra has already been uh, a name in the academia, but I didn't know that he was this big until he wrote his memoir in a form of a book that called Hayatun um, Ghayru Amina, Unsafe Life. And uh, he also wrote an, an important book about the creation of the Palestinian uh, statelessness in Kuwait, which is, in my opinion, the most important academic reference when it comes to the history of the Palestinian refugees not only in Kuwait, but also in the Gulf, which is compared to the Palestinians of Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, and Iraq, uh, is um, under under uh, researched and underrepresented. What book was it, Yusuf? Just for those interested, the book is called uh, "The Story of the Palestinian Statelessness of Kuwait." Fantastic. Yeah, this is in addition to his uh, personal memoir. So, in in the time where he was in Kuwait, where he, well, he was born in 1952. Now, to understand Kuwait in 52, it was not an independent state, but it was on its way for independence. And Kuwait wa, uh, uh, was led by uh, a leader who was visionary, was enlightened, who, who, who promoted openness with a political openness. So Kuwait became the most diverse, uh, politically diverse uh, uh, state within in the Gulf countries, and also the most open, the most modern, uh, even before independence. So uh, he did that 
um, with the help of the ready to serve uh, human population that became stateless uh, from Palestine. So the Palestinians of Kuwait, in fact, were, were, were unique in, uh, in, 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 in a way, even if you compare them to the, to the Palestinian of other uh, Nicholas countries, neighboring countries to Palestine, because they were more like the expatriates as opposed to refugees. So the Palestinians fled Palestine to the north, to the Lebanon and Syria, and to the east, to Jordan, and internally to West Bank and Gaza. And this became, of course, and still are the refugees. But the second wave of the second wave of, uh, of immigration was for economic improvement reasons, and they went predominantly to the Gulf and particularly to Kuwait. So his father was one of the elite families of Kuwait in a way that even the Emir of Kuwait, the ruler of Kuwait, asked him to be, to be his personal doctor, his family doctor. And he was offered the Kuwaiti uh, citizenship uh, by the Emir himself, uh, the father I'm talking, the Mr. Nadim, Nadim, uh, Nadim uh, Ghabra, uh, the father of Shafi. So we're talking about one of the spearheads of the Palestinian community uh, in, in Kuwait. And in time where the Palestinians in the 50s had to join whether uh, Arab political parties, nationalism, Nasseri, or regional parties like Islamist parties like Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood or Tahrir, or international uh, parties like the communist and socialist parties. So in this time, the, uh, the, the Palestinians were like totally dependent on others uh, who raised the flag of liberation of Palestine. And they totally believed in them, whether, whether uh, Jamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt or the Ba'ath Party of Iraq and Syria, or, or uh, maybe the left in, 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 in the world. But unfortunately, they, the big shock of 1967 made them wake up and understand the concept of self-determination, that Palestine will never be liberated at the hand of non-Palestinians. And it, the time has come for Palestinian national movement to be born and to lead the struggle for liberation. And that was the making of what later became Fatah movement, who he joined at the age of as young as 15. So he was 15 year old, a student in uh, Kuwait, uh, I mean, when we think of 15 years old, we think of um, uh, 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 students who are still undecided what to do in their life. In that time, it was old enough to take part in political, in public sphere. So, uh, of course, that story is worth telling and maybe in future episodes we'll shed some light on it. But I want, I want also uh, to shed some light on a story that he shared. Uh, in his childhood, when his father was in the UK uh, to pursue further education. So this, the, the, this is when he was um, uh, six years old. His father went to UK to finish uh, for, uh, higher education in medicine. And the dialogue between this year uh, uh, grade one student and his British uh, teacher when she asked him where you are from. And he said, I'm from Palestine. And she said, there was no such thing called Palestine. It's now called Israel. And then he was uh, old enough to tell her 
that no Britain is the reason why there is no is there is no Palestine on the map. So we're talking about a, a boy as young as six who was able to even give the correct answer to uh, to his teacher. So a unique a unique person uh, by all measures at Georgetown University. But there he joined the, the Palestinian Student Union and really took off. Um, by the time, by the time he, uh, of course, uh, he was educated in uh, in Kuwait up until year ten, and then he finished year eleven and twelve in Lebanon in one of private companies, and uh, sorry, uh, private schools, and then from Lebanon he went to, to uh, the United uh, to, to to the United States to study uh, international relations or politics. Uh, when he went there, um, he straight away asked for who among the Palestinians or Arabs who are active in telling the story of Arab uh, struggle. And, and, and I want to highlight one point that Shafi was a Palestinian, but he was also a pan-Arabist, meaning that the issues of the Arab world was as important as the liberation of Palestine to him, particularly in that time. So that's why he joined the uh, student Union, the Arab Student Union, and within within less than one year, he was uh, nominated to be the leader of uh, of that uh, union in 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 his city. And he spoke about important uh, stages uh, or, or 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 turning point during that time. The first one is the visit of Golda Meir to the United States and the protest he organized. Uh, in protest of her visit. The second one is 1974 Yasser Arafat General Assembly speech, the Olive Branch or Klashnikov, the famous uh, speech, where the Zionist Assembly gathered half a, half a million, and half a million is not an exaggeration, 500,000 uh, uh, Zionists protested, protested against Yasser Arafat when he went to the United Nations, New York in 1974. So he joined, a, I mean, I can't call it a counter protest with a few thousand, but he was this, one of the spearheads of the protests. So he was active in, in the pro-Palestine and pro-Arab uh, activism in his life in, uh, in, 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 in the United States. But, what, but one, thing, one thing important is, is, is also that uh, he paid extra attention to the importance of organizing lectures, debates, uh, forums, and to tell the narrative of Palestinians in English to the American audience before he goes back to Lebanon and starts and, and then start another chapter of his life. So take us to Lebanon, then obviously to the founding of the American University in Kuwait. Uh, before, before the founding of uh, uh, the American University of Kuwait, uh, we're now down to uh, 1975. So he, he was a graduate from one of the finest universities in the world in this field. He went back to Kuwait, but he wanted, his heart remained in the Palestinian revolution. And he told his family that he wants to, the, the Arabic word is yetafarra. Yetafarrag is to leave his study, leave his work, and join the revolution. And 
and uh, something you can you can say that you know to be a full time member of the uh, revolution. And of course, his parents were not very receptive to this, but they supported him anyway. So he went to Lebanon uh, a month before the a month before the, the the beginning of the civil war, with the hope that he will go to Lebanon and join the uh, Palestinian resistance uh, in Lebanon against uh, uh, the Israeli occupation. But unfortunately, the Lebanese war broke out a month later of, uh, of, of that. And then he talks in his memoir how, unfortunately, he found himself in a situation where that's not why I wanted to be in Lebanon. But nevertheless, he managed to, um, to take part in, uh, only, in resistance only and as much as he could to, 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 uh, to focus only on, uh, uh, I would say, anti-Israel activities in Lebanon. And uh, from there, from 75 to 81, he, he was in Lebanon, part of the Fatah and PLO resistance until in 81, he decided to go back to Kuwait and start his career as uh, an academic and joined uh, the University of Kuwait. And of course came the invasion uh, before, before the, uh, the beginning of the American University of Kuwait, the Iraqi invasion to Kuwait uh, took place in 1990. And, you know, it changed the world and we still live in the aftermath of the destruction in the region that happened afterward. So, um, so, so, so of course, uh, being a dual citizen, he, he, he was in a way swimming against the stream that the majority of Palestinians were, 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 were heading towards because most Palestinians, whether we like it or not, supported uh, in a way or another uh, Saddam in, uh, in 1990. And a few of them saw the danger of that. And he was one of that few, few people. And he turns, it turns out that he was right. And uh, now we look back and we appreciate appreciate what he said and what he wrote, even though that his views in 1991 to, to, to 2000 were, were not popular at all among Palestinians. But uh, after, after, uh, after a successful academic life in Kuwait, and then he became uh, the, the co-founding of the American University, which is another successful chapter of his academic life. But we should also say, Yusuf, whilst he was a co-founder, the reality is, you know, what was assigned to him was supervising the construction, designing the academic programs for the students, for the professors. And he did all of this in, in, in under two years. It's not a little job that he put together. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, we talk about one subject. I mean, I... I I, uh, I know what it means to design a program. I did uh, some university work for nine years, and it is a mammoth task to to just uh, lead the creation of a complete uh, university from scratch. And he did that in less than two years. In a, in time, where Kuwait was, uh, 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 there was some form of social criticism to the American University of Kuwait and being accused of you know too much openness by conservatives and you know you know uh, the fact that this is foreign university in a conservative uh, country so 
there was several fronts he was fighting and he managed to do it very efficiently. I've got a couple of quotes of his, but this one I liked particularly about the, about the university. He said, a university is like a biological organism. It has to be ready to develop, has to activate humans' minds. And this is a stark difference to the way universities are now, you know, institutionalized, money-making machines. The vice chancellors now are CEOs of business units and these sorts of thought programs of, you know, a, a university being an organic. Brilliant. It just doesn't happen anymore, that sort of thinking. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Brilliant. I guess uh, the legacy of Shafi Al-Ghabra uh, uh, is, Uh, the life of uh, Shafi was the life of the children of Nakba uh, from the ashes of uh, Nakba who rose and you know built a successful career but also had to go through the frustration of 67 defeat and the hope of uh, liberation after 65 the Palestinian uh, liberation movement and also um, the um, the complicity of the region, uh, particularly the Arab regimes against the revolution, and of course, the frustration that followed. So the life of Shafi al-Ghabra is a live representation of the Palestinian cause since I would say the Nakba until today. So I encourage all our listener, uh, listeners, especially those who can read Arabic to purchase I hope his books were translated into English. I still don't know. But those who can access uh, authentic uh, documents, particularly in Arabic, I, I encourage them to buy his memoir, Haya Ghir Amina, Unsafe Life. My Life is Unsafe is actually available in English. So it's called My Life is Unsafe. He was actually reviewing it uh, when he passed Ah, uh, great! I'm really, I'm really happy to have heard that it is in English. Fantastic. So, one of the things we should also talk about. I mean, he was very critical of Arab regimes, and one of the things he, you know, would say was the reality of social science uh, professors in the Arab world is that they would leave teaching because teaching, um, and his quote is, "Laws do not protect university professors in most Arab countries. Therefore, the majority of professors prefer an administrative position over research." that may lead to imprisonment or dismissal. The absence of various guarantees and caveats on research issues. And this is one of the things that, you know, all of his, many of his students who left, went into the wider world, left the Arab world, all that thinking, all that brains, many of them refused to publish their thesis in Arabic for fear of the families getting- Yeah, yeah, uh, intimidated, of course. Um, I, I also want to say that he is a highly respected figure within the Kuwait Uh, within, with, within the Kuwaiti society. So uh, if you Google his name, you will see most of what was written about him in Arabic by Kuwaitis, not by Palestinians, although that he was a big, a big name in Palestine. But, what, uh, but his legacy in Kuwait is as big and is more respected. Unfortunately, the, uh, this is something that we Palestinians uh, keep missing the opportunity one after the other. And I don't think that, you know, uh, we got the best out of this man in his lifetime. No, you're, you're right, Yusuf. And just to close the show, I'll, this is his, one of his most famous quotes, he says, about his own personal life. The experience of the military struggle for about six years contributed to the development of my academic experience because it taught me to delve deeper 
into reading events and to have a broader understanding of the political movements of different ideologies and ways of interacting with reality. It also contributed to the development of a sense of recklessness and managerial or leadership positions. And the belief that my position of a university professor was the most suitable position for my personal choices. I mean, he challenged everything and everyone along the way and sadly gone too soon. Correct. I second uh, everything you said, uh, Nasser. And uh, I think one thing we Palestinians around the world uh, can do is to remember him in open heart and uh, to embrace his legacy and to follow on his footsteps. Indeed. I tell you, those quotes that you just said make you really interested in listening and reading to him. It's brilliant. Profound. Unfortunately, another Palestinian brain and intellect denied his rights to the end. Yusuf, thanks for joining us today. And Robert? Thank you, Nasser and Robert. And uh, we must do this again. Of course. Thanks for listening. Make sure you share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.